Good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Mac. Hope you've got your copy of God's Word. I want you to go with me this morning to Psalm 84, the beatitude of a pilgrim. We're all on a journey. Um, different journeys, but we're all on a journey. Some of you are journeying toward um, a college career. Um, the next four years are going to be spent off at university somewhere. Some of you are on a health journey. Um, you're battling some kind of health issue. Others of you, you may be on a retirement journey. Uh, retirement's coming up maybe in a year or so, a couple of months, a couple of weeks, and you're just saying, I I'm not sure where this journey's going to take me. We all wonder that. Maybe as we head into these summer months, you're going to head off to a vacation somewhere. It's great to get out of the house. You're on a but we all wonder, you know, what's the journey going to be like? How's the journey going to end up? Maybe you're in a new marriage. Maybe you are a new parent, but you're on a journey. Well, this psalm is about that very thing. It's about the journey. And it's about uh, a pilgrim who's making this journey. As I started reading this, I thought to myself of First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, <clears throat> where Peter writes to the church that's scattered now and under persecution, and he's really preparing them uh, for a greater persecution to come. And he writes him and he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, the word means as sojourners, people who are passing through, um, somebody that is on a journey just passing through this area. Uh, we would call them pilgrims. Um, that's part of what the word might uh, mean right there, is somebody who is on a pilgrimage. Well, how do you start a journey? How do you have a, a good journey? How can you ensure that the journey you take is going to be um, a successful journey? Well, I can almost promise you this, that like the psalmist, you're going to encounter some valleys in your journey. But let me take you to this psalm. The best way in life to begin and end a journey is going to be with worship. Now, we looked at worship yesterday, and I bring you back to a psalm because the psalms, so many of them, deal with this whole idea of worship he starts off and he says, and we're not sure that this psalmist here is either coming from Jerusalem or if this was a psalm coming out of <clears throat> Babylonian captivity. <clears throat> we're not really sure. There are a lot of uh, speculation. There's a lot of speculation about <clears throat> the background of this psalm. Uh, but he's going to tell you this, that the best way First of all, to start a journey is with establishing a pattern of worship in your life. Um, no matter what journey you're on, if new couple, new parent, new job, um, uh, whatever journey you're on, the best way to start that journey is to begin to establish a pattern of worship. Now, this psalm is divided into three parts. This first part, establishing a pattern of worship, uh, encompasses the first four verses. So kind of look at that with me. He begins with expressing a love for God. 
a love for the worship of God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. If you remember yesterday, I took you through the passages where David talked about loving the house of God, loving the courts of God, loving to dwell in the house. I want to dwell in the house of God forever. Well, the psalmist here is not David, but he has the same thing. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Now, that is a poetic expression that basically says, God, I love you. God, I love to worship you. Uh, This is our home. Uh, I love our home. When I say that, I'm not in love with our home. A lot of things that I like about our home. But when I'm away, when I'm gone and I come back, I don't run up and hug the brick in the mortar. When I come home, what I love about home is that Deb is here. That's what I love. That's who I love. That's what the psalmist is saying here. He is saying, Lord, I love to be in your presence. I love to be with you. That's the way you begin to establish a pattern of worship in your life, which is the way you start a journey, is to begin with focusing your love, your your awe, your reverence, your respect for God. Then he talks about this longing. My soul longs. Now, Now, just watch this. My soul longs. It faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. He's expressing the desire of his heart. He says, this is the longing of my heart. The desire of my heart is to be in your presence, to be in your house, to be in worship, and to express that by the singing of praise. Now, let me, let me tell you, in life, you can counterfeit a lot of things. We, we can make up a lot of counterfeit emotions. We can counterfeit emotions. I've seen people who can make themselves cry at the drop of a hat. Um, you can uh, counterfeit your actions, things that you do. You can even counterfeit your words. You know en- enough of the language of the church that you can say all the right things at the right time. But let me tell you what you cannot counterfeit, and you know it, and that is what is the deepest desires of your heart. Here you hear the psalmist say that the deepest longing and desire of my heart is to be in God's presence. Now he comes in verse 3, and he speaks about learning all of this. He's going to learn um, how to Uh, focus his attention on the worship of God. Watch it, what he says, even the sparrow finds a home. Now, let me me just tell you, he's making an analogy here. He's going to drive home a point here. Uh, And the point is this, is this whole idea of wandering through life. Uh, You're not really on a journey. You're just wandering. You're like a pinball in a pinball machine. You bounce off of this and bounce off of that and bounce off the other and there's no real direction in your life. He's saying, I am learning how to worship God. I am learning how to um, desire God more every day. He says, even the sparrow finds a home. Now, a sparrow, they say, never lands in the same place twice. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's the whole concept of it, that it just wanders, and it wanders, and it wanders. It never has a set home. Well, here it says, even the sparrow, 
that is known for wandering finds a home. I can learn from that. Then he comes and he says, the swallow, a nest for herself. Uh, A swallow was the sign of summer. Uh, If you were in the Middle East, if you're in Israel and you see the swallows, you know, kind of like the return to the swallows, the return to Capistrano. In the Middle East, it's if you see the swallows, you know summer's coming. Winter is over. Uh, the swallows have been away. Now they have come home. They've come to the place where they're building a nest. Now look at this, where she may lay her young. That is, I have found a place to settle. Where's your place to settle? I can tell you my place to settle is in the worship of God. And uh, to be even more specific, it's called Valleydale Church. Uh, That is my home. I love the church. I love the people. But above everything else, I love God. And I love to be in the presence of God in the midst of the worship of his people. I love to be in the middle of a worship service where people are singing at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now watch this. Here's Here's the beatitude right here. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. He says, I have settled my life, and I have settled my life in a love of the worship of God and a yearning, a longing to be in the midst of the worship of God. Now, that's the way you begin a journey, is is to begin by this established pattern of worship. If you've never established a pattern of worship in your life, you need to do so right now. Let me tell you, one of the reasons that I'm doing this in in the mornings is to help people learn how to establish a devotional time, which is essentially, this could be a worship time for you. It won't satisfy all your worship. You need to be in a local body somewhere in the midst of God's people, worshiping God, assembling together with God's people. Uh, But it is so critical. And and let me just ask you a favor in the middle of this devotion. Help me determine where God is leading me in all of this morning devotional um, that I'm going through with you. Um, Help me determine what I need to do with this and where is God leading with this. If you could share this with all of your friends uh, on your Facebook accounts or on your Twitter accounts, it'll help give me some kind of idea of, is this the way God's leading me? Is God taking me on a journey um, down a road with this? Okay, there you go. Now let me give you the second thing. Pick it up. The second section begins with verse 5, and uh, I have a blessed journey when I'm drawing on the strength of God. Not when I, just as I establish a worship pattern, now as I'm on my journey, I have to draw my strength from him. Look at what this says. Blessed. Now, if you notice right here at at verse four, that section ends with blessed. You have a selah, pause, wait, think about what I've just said. And then the new section picks up with, in verse five, with the word blessed. Here's here's the beatitude again. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. That's a poetic way of saying, God, I find my strength in you. I have no strength apart from you. 
Where do you get strength for the journey? You're on a medical journey right now. You've got doctor's visits. You've got a surgery coming up. You've got medication you've got to take. It's having this side effect or that side effect. Listen, where do you find strength to go through that? Well, you find it in the Lord. You don't find it anywhere else. And it's strength, look at what he does. It's strength that gives you direction. Now, there's a fascinating statement right here. In whose heart are the highways to Zion? Now, I want you to stop and think about that. He says, here are those who draw their strength from you, and in their heart is the highway. They've got a map to Zion. Now, when Israel, when the Hebrews came out of Egypt, they didn't have a map. Um, they had Moses. Now, Moses had knowledge of the backside of the desert, but they didn't depend on Moses. They didn't depend on a man, as great a man even as Moses. What they depended on was this, is that every day there was a cloud there, a pillar there of cloud in the day, and a, and a, and a cloud of fire, a pillar of fire by night. And the Bible says that whenever that cloud lifted up, Israel got up and they moved out. They followed that cloud. And when that cloud settled down, when it came down and stopped, they all stopped and camped. And they didn't move unless the cloud moved. That's what he's saying right here, is that no longer do I have a cloud that leads me, but I have a highway in my heart that is, as a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit of God giving me direction in my life through his word, through the leading of his spirit. His strength gives me that direction. There's also provision. Look at verse 6 and verse 7. As they go through the valley of Baca. The valley of Baca or Baca literally means the valley of weeping. Now, they're not really exactly certain where that valley was, but the implication is it was a valley that was extremely dry. It was a valley that was barren. It was a valley where there was no vegetation because there was no rain. There was no water. That's the whole concept of the Valley of Baca. I've read somewhere where they said it was a place that had balsam trees. And whenever you see balsam trees, it drains up all the water. They suck up all the water so that the place literally is a barren place. He says, as you go through life, you'll go through some valleys of weeping that are very dry. You may be in a spiritual valley right now. You're just as dry as a bone. You say, my spiritual life is just dry. I, I'm, I'm, I feel barren. There is nothing green about my spiritual life right now. I'm going through a period in my marriage. I'm going through a period at work where I'm discouraged. I'm down. There's nothing to be exciting about, excited about. It seems as if it is, is a, a desert to me. Well, I want you to listen to what he says. When you draw your strength from the Lord, he makes it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. He says there's so much water that God gives that it just pools up. It doesn't sink down into that dry ground, but that it's been saturated now and that you can look out and you can see pools. Listen, do you know what that does for you? It does this. When, God, when you draw on God's strength, he gives you direction. He gives you provision. He gives you 
strength and life in the midst of that barren place, it says they go from strength to strength. That's the only way to take a journey. And that is in drawing on God's divine resources. And when you do, you move from strength to strength. Yes, you'll go through valleys, but there'll be the strength there to go through them. Now, let me give you the third thing in verse, uh, in verse eight, osculation. That is the intensive listening of God. Osculation is what a doctor does when he takes a stethoscope and he pinpoints your heart and he listens to that heartbeat right there in that very place. Listen, that is exactly what he's saying here. Oh Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, oh God of Jacob. The understand, and then he says, Selah, just stop, pause, think about that. Our God is a God who has direct listening to the very heartbeat of your situation of your life. When you draw on his strength, that's what happens. Now, let me give you the third part. And the third part is this, is that this beatitude of a pilgrim, this blessed journey, the lights in God and in serving God. I'm going to show you something interesting in 9 and 10. I'm not exactly sure everything that the psalmist is doing here, but it seems beginning in verse 9, the pilgrim has arrived, uh, that he is there, he's at home, and I'm not so sure that the illusion here is not that he has arrived in heaven. I somewhat think that he is saying, I have arrived now with God. I'm at home in heaven with God. And when he does, look at what he says. Behold our shield, O God. Now, if he's talking about that, he's saying God has protected me through death. I've come home. He's guarded me the whole way. He's gotten me there with him. And then he makes this interesting statement. Look on the face of your anointed. I almost wonder if these two things right here are not the two things we're going to say when we arrive in heaven. Look at how God has delivered me and look on the face of your anointed. Do you see that right there? That's a clear messianic uh, statement. Look on the face of your anointed. Um, I hear a lot of people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say that I'm going to ask God that I'm going to ask God that listen, you're going to be so overwhelmed with the majesty of God's greatness. And you're going to be so overwhelmed with the look on the face of our savior, Jesus Christ. I think it will leave you deaf and dumb to anything else to be heard or said. Well, he says, and this gives me another indication here. He's talking, and it reminds me of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, where Peter says that a day is like a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is as a day. He says, a day in your courts is better than a thousand years elsewhere. He's beginning to move towards service here, and I think it's interesting. Uh, I am on this journey. I am... I am delighted in my God and I am delighted in service. I've looked and I've beheld our God who's protected me and I've looked on the face of the anointed 
And he says, now I come to where time doesn't matter anymore. Time is not an issue. God lives outside the dimension of space and time. And he says, there in that place, he says, it's better to be there for a day in your courts than to spend a thousand days, a thousand years, a thousand millennia anywhere else. He says, because in that place, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. In other words, he says this. Now think about this. He says, when I get there to be a doorkeeper, which was a menial job, it was the it was perhaps the most menial position in the whole temple complex. And yet the psalmist says this, there's no such thing as a menial position in the kingdom of God. No matter what you do, Christian, no matter what your job, your gift, your service is, it is not insignificant. It is not menial. In the kingdom of God, it is incredibly significant. Do you think Gabriel ever complained to God and said, I'm just a step and fetch it. I'm just an errand boy. Do you think he ever got tired of running errands to people like Daniel and Zacharias and Mary? Let me tell you something. Whatever you do, when you do it as unto the Lord, it is not menial and insignificant. It is, it is a high-honored position in the kingdom of God. Now listen to what he says, verse 11. Now watch this. For the Lord God is a son. This is the only place in all of Scripture where God is called a son in the Old Testament. The son, S-U-N. Uh, for the Lord God is a son. God is above us, illuminating everything for us on your journey. And a shield. He is before us, giving us protection. The Lord bestows favor and honor. God is for us. He favors you. He honors you. And God is with us. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, now here's the last beatitude. Here's the last blessing. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Why? Because let me tell you something. When you trust in the Lord in that journey, you establish a pattern of worship. You draw on His strength. You delight in Him and in His service. And the journey is radically transformed. God is with you wherever you're journeying, pilgrim. God bless.